Listener Production. How many of the gadgets and weapons in the James Bond films actually exist? Hey, I'm Jake Morecambe, and this is The Science Briefing. I'm filling in for Sophie for the next couple of episodes. The James Bond franchise has 25 films, and it's been running for more than 60 years. So the number of gadgets he's played with over the years is at least in the hundreds. Some are obviously bonkers and defy the laws of physics and just transcend reality. But a bunch actually are or have become real. I chat to Cosmos magazine journalist Matthew Aegis about which James Bond gadgets are legit in 2023, but also which ones remain mostly a fantasy. Okay, Matt, not going to lie, it's been a while since I've seen a James Bond movie. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've never actually seen one. For people that haven't seen the Bond films, one of the key tropes is that he gets the mission and then he gets all the equipment to complete the mission. Especially in the early films with Sean Connery, they were fairly plausible things. You know, you get a car, but the car might have some fancy inclusions like uh, an injector seat. Then they get a bit more zany as the years goes on. Machine guns that sort of like prop out of the bonnet and start shooting at the vehicle in front of them. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's plausible that you could have guns coming out of the bonnet of a car because, you know, they're in tanks. True. But certainly in later years, there were some that you thought, that just seems completely ridiculous. (laughs) And so, yeah, then when writing a story about, you know, pick a franchise in pop culture, all right, Bond, lots of films, lots of material to look at how much of the, the science of Bond, as it were, actually is, is legitimate, <laughs> you get to go back and see what's actually true. Let's start with the ones that aren't legit. Like, they okay. most likely would not exist. Where should we start? There were certainly some, especially when Roger Moore was playing Bond in the 80s. One of those, which I always go to, is like peak ridiculousness. Octopussy is a film... Roger Moore as Bond dresses up in a clown outfit at some point late in the <laughs> film. And it's like a weird Ronald McDonald it, like Pennywise crossover Great. type costume. And he's at, a, he's at a circus in West Germany and he has to defuse a, a nuclear bomb from going off. That's the peak ludicrousness of, of probably <laughs> Bond right there. And in that film, he comes ashore trying to infiltrate the bad guy's lair in a submarine, except it's a submarine that is actually shaped for one man, one person, like a crocodile. Oh. Mm. As he comes to the shore, the mouth of the crocodile opens up and there's Roger Moore's face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I don't, I don't look, I mean, very stealthy, but I'm not sure that CIA or MI6 or ASIO or anyone's actually investing a lot of time and energy into that. Yeah. I, I mean, does a one-person submarine actually exist, let alone in crocodile-shaped form? I mean, there have been some attempts to create, you know, single-person subs to varying levels of efficacy. Everything's plausible, everything's inventable, whether or not it works at scale and whether or not it would actually be done to a production level, I guess, is another question. And, and certainly I don't imagine there's a lot of spies out there trying to, you know, get their hands on a crocodile submarine. Let's move to something a bit more plausible, and that's lasers. What can you tell us about lasers in the Bond films? You know, there's a lot of lasers used. 
In The Man with the Golden Gun, again a Roger Moore film, one of his earlier pictures, the bad guy Scaramanga, who's played by Christopher Lee, he has a laser gun, I suppose, or a laser cannon. And him and Roger Moore are sort of standing up, looking down at the seaplane that Roger Moore's flown into the secret lair on. And he points the, the cannon at the plane and he says, this is the part I really like. And he presses the button and the plane blows up. But you don't see a laser beam come out. You don't see like a coloured red beam or green beam or blue beam. And that is probably a very accurate portrayal of how a, a very powerful laser would work. We're talking about highly concentrated particles of light energy, of photons. And you see very similar technology to this actually used in the US Navy. They have developed basically laser cannons to shoot down drones. Can you think of why you might use a laser cannon to shoot down a drone, Jake? Stop watching me. <laughs> that's the stance <laughs> from the military, surely? No, that's, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. 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 Uh, but to use a, a laser beam means you're not using, I guess, ammunition, you're not using a missile. And so if you've got a, a foreign power is flying a, a drone, a surveillance drone or, or a weaponized drone you know, in your country, by using a laser cannon, you basically get a, a clean hit on the mm. target. Because if you think about it, you know, this is used at sea, but if you had that tech, say, around an airbase or an airport, firing a missile in an airport is probably not a very safe thing to do, but using a high-powered laser beam to take out that sort of target is going to be a lot more effective and probably a lot safer for, you know, human beings and technology, airplanes, for example, around that location. So that's why that type of technology actually has some use. What's, a, what's an unrealistic portrayal of a laser in a Bond film? We'll go with the iconic scene. It's the 60s. Sean Connery is Bond. He's strapped to a big gold plate. Mm -hmm. He can't escape. And the villain Goldfinger is there telling him that I'm about to cut through your uh, nether regions with a high-powered laser that can project a spot on the moon. You see a bright red laser being directed into the block of gold. The fact that you can see a bright red laser is probably not a very accurate thing. You shouldn't be, really be able to see a coloured laser with just that red wavelength of light doing right. that sort of damage. And indeed, certainly put in post-production visual effects. And uh, my understanding is that the crew were actually sort of below the block of gold with like a welding gun. Oh, using wow. Using that to actually create the cutting effect. So probably not a particularly, you know, ultimately realistic portrayal, but, you know, iconic scene. So you sort of suspend your, uh, your belief for a second there. But that being said, lasers today actually cut through metal. Yes, they can. And they do. And, you know, there are institutes across Australia of physicists who work in this field to develop the sort of technology, some of it with military applications, some of it with industrial applications, where it can cut through metal. We also see it in medicine. If you think of surgery that someone might have to reattach a retina in mm. their eye, they will use very powerful laser technology to cut human tissue to make it right for reconnection in this case and in other forms of surgery as well. So the portrayal of lasers sort of dances the legit, not so legit line. There are a bunch of gadgets, though, that probably could exist today. Mm. One of them being a fingerprint scanner. Yeah, so fingerprint scanners in a Brosnan film, Tomorrow Never Dies, he's got a, a phone which can be used to scan fingerprint readers 
to get the fingerprint off of the fingerprint reader and then display it and then show it back to the fingerprint reader. So this is how he breaks into secure areas. In right. Um, but we, we see this anyway in mobile phone, phones today to unlock the phone. So it's that use of biometric information. So biometrics being unique, personalized identifiers that only you as a human being possess. Fingerprint readers, there's varying levels of preciseness, accuracy, and power to them. But in general, they're designed to take an image of, say, your fingerprint or your thumbprint. And when you say using like a fingerprint scanner on your phone, for example, you have an iPhone, and then you're using your thumbprint to then be able to unlock your phone. It's the the thing that you do to press down and down and down until it reads what your fingerprint is. Yeah, and so I guess the, if you keep pressing down and down and down, maybe the technology isn't so precise or, or there's a margin for error there, or that might be why it doesn't unlock. And we also see the use of, you know, if we're talking about biometrics, the use of those unique identifiers, there are retina scans that now exist. I don't recall it being in a Bond film, but I certainly know it's being used in other sci-fi where, you know, they put their eye up and it scans their iris. Your iris is completely unique. That sort of tech is, is all, if not possible, then theoretically possible. Funny how we've gone from sort of like abstract technology in a Bond film to something that is pretty benign by today's standards, mm. opening an iPhone with your fingerprint. One other gadget that I think we should talk about, and it's surprising to me that this is relatively legit, are cars and namely invisible Mm. cars. (laughs) Yeah. When when I was talking about how it sort of got a bit ludicrous and and unbelievable, literally unbelievable, Mm -hmm. was sort of in the early 2000s in, in Pierce Brosnan's last film, Die Another Day, and a big slab sort of rolls through the underground where the you know intelligence service base is, and there's nothing on it uh, except the fact that there's a, a completely invisible Aston Martin on the platform. So the idea in the Bond film was that there were heaps of tiny, tiny, tiny cameras on you know one side of the vehicle, filming the view of one side of the vehicle and projecting it to the other side of the car. So if you're standing on one side, that's what you would be seeing. You'd be seeing through it, as it were. And the only other thing that really came to mind when it came to the invisible car idea, and this is a little bit more Batman perhaps than it is Bond, a British materials company created a substance a few years ago called Vanta Black. Mm. And Vanta Black absorbs over 99% of light. Right. If you shine a torch at this material painted onto a surface, you won't see any sort of reflection. You won't see any edges. If you had your fridge and you painted it in Vanta Black, it would just look like a black silhouette because it's absorbing all the light. Really, really, really interesting, sophisticated technology. And to promote it, they painted a BMW with it and then drove it around. (laughs) All you would see is this sort of spectral car driving on the roads. And this was purely done for the purposes of proving that it could be done, very controlled conditions, if you can imagine being at nighttime with a spectral car that doesn't actually reflect light. Essentially an invisible vehicle like speeding around the roads. Correct, correct. So all you would see is when they, you know, pump the brakes and the lights, you know, come up. It's a ghost car. Completely illegal for you to do it to your car on the road. But yes, that is an invisible car. That's the closest that we can get to it right now. We've trolled through gadgets in the Bond universe where would you place the dial in terms of how many are legit versus how many are not so legit? 
that's a hard question. There's been a lot of gadgets used in Bond films. I mean, look, most of them have either become legit over time. So we've seen early sort of tracking devices, ideas of GPS used as far back as the, the Connery films in the 60s. And obviously, we now have GPS technology and tracking technology of that nature. You know, even even technology we see today, you know, in the, in the Craig films, he was given firearms that only recognized his handprint back to that biometric stuff. And that does exist today. There are American gun manufacturers who have invented technology that will only read your handprint, mm. for example. You know, there is a, a lot of tech that we've seen imagined that's become real. We've seen technology that's been in its infancy in the real world start to be entertained as a legitimate real world application in, in films like Bond films. And then we've seen some completely ridiculous stuff. Um, but I think, you know, the good news for you, Jake, is that if you don't want the crocodile submarine, there is a film that in Goldfinger at the very beginning, Sean Connery swims to the villain's lair wearing a wetsuit with a seagull on top. Perfect. And I reckon you could make that. I reckon you could make that yourself. Look, I think it's pretty presumptuous to say that I don't want the crocodile submarine, but if that's not <laughs> legit, I will take the seagull. Matthew Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. And hey, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or catch us wherever you get your podcasts. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. Mixing in this episode was done by Dave Stein. I'm Jake Morecambe and I'll catch you next time. <laughs>